Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, uh, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Yes. Uh, my conversation with the wonderful Cami Garcia. She co-wrote the uh, YA bestseller Beautiful Creatures with uh, Margaret Stoll. I interviewed her years ago when that came out. Well, she's been on her own for a while. She's writing more YA books, uh, graphic novels, all kinds of stuff. We had a great conversation about, you know, self-doubt, how she still wrestles with it, and about working with collaboration, how she likes collaboration. It's a great conversation. You can check it out at authormagazine.org. And we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Yes, they have been. And, uh, well, they're still doing it. They're going to have a mini online conference in June. And uh, I will be there participating in that somehow, virtual conference. And I know our conference in September is also going to be, our big one is going to be virtual also. We're, you know, look, we love being in person, and ultimately we will be. But the nice part about this, these virtual conferences is people come from all over the world for them. In fact, I just did a, uh, anyway, oh, anyway, I should say, yes. So that's what we're doing. If you're interested in that, if you're interested in their writers, your conference, their contests for unpublished and for published authors, you can go over to pnwa.org. Check it all out. It's great. Speaking of all, I, listen, I, had to, I did some workshops myself, fearless writing and fearless marketing. Oh, it was these were virtual night people from Hawaii, from Indiana, from Maine, from Florida. So it's the great thing about Zoom. Just come from all over. Yes, you can. Speaking of which, I will be, uh, I just found out I will be teaching a big uh, all-day work, fearless writing workshop at the Writer's Digest yearly conference. If it's in New York, that's where we'll be, but it may be virtual also. So I'll be doing some other stuff too, but big, long, actually, it's going to be called Everyone Has What It Takes. Yes, because that's what my new book is called. And that'll be out in June, and I'll be teaching a day-long seminar on how on fearless writing, how everyone has what it takes, confronting self-doubt. Ah, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. So that's just a little teaser for you if you ever go to that conference. That's a good conference. And, uh, well, I'll be there. Okay. So, uh, you know, I'm on, a, I'm on a run. I've got a theme. Last week I spoke with Marsha Butler, a uh, oboist turned novelist. Today I got the wonderful Erica Miner. She's a violinist turned author. Uh, she's had a multifaceted career as an award-winning author, screenwriter, journalist, and lecturer. Her lectures, seminars, and workshops on writing and on opera have received kudos in venues across the West Coast, including the Wagner Society of New York, Boston, Los Angeles, San Diego, and uh, Northern California. Uh, Erica's writings also have appeared in Leitmotif, the magazine, the Wagner Society of Northern California, Italian American Magazine, San Diego Jewish Journal, Del Mar Lifestyles, Opera Plus, St. Petersburg Music and Arts Magazine, Vision Magazine, Word San Diego, Istanbul, Our City, and numerous Ezine. Her most recent novel, she's a novelist too, is Stage 
for Murder, her third in her opera mystery series. And she's with us today. Yes, she is. Erica, welcome to the show. Bill, thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. It is my pleasure. I just love, I was, I, we were talking, I love talking to musicians. Um, I just love music and I think it's a, it's um, fascinating crossover to writing. But uh, as I said in the intro, you, your first career, first artistic career, unless you left something out was as a violinist, yeah, professional violinist in at the Metropolitan Opera, correct? That's correct. Yes, for 21 years. Wow. I mean, that's kind of a plum job, isn't it, for a violinist? Uh, it used to be. Before the pandemic, uh, it certainly was. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. But, I mean, that's pretty good. And so, um, and so you play – and so you were – how many – like, what, what's the season for, for the Metropolitan Opera? Like, what was that job? It's pretty much the longest season of any opera in the world. You start in September and you go all the way through May. So it's 30 weeks of um, performances plus three weeks of rehearsals in advance of the performances plus recordings plus concerts in the park. It's, um, you know, by the time you get to the end of the season, you're ready to take some time off in the summer. Yeah. uh, Really intense. And, Performances are very, very long as well. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I was actually talking to Marsha about this. I played the flute for years and, you know, I liked playing it, but frankly, just, it was, it was such a battle with not hitting wrong notes. You know, it was, which I know (laughs) you got to get beyond that, but I was, you know, it so was, it was so, it drove me crazy because I couldn't always enjoy the music. So I was so busy trying to make sure I hit all the right notes, but I know my, my flute teacher is good flautist. Uh, she would play with the Seattle Symphony some and just stressed her out because she said, you cannot hit a wrong note. And I would think that the pressure just, I mean, even though you're a pro and you know how to deal with that, I would think the pressure would be pretty intense to to have your game Uh, be on every time you showed up. Yeah, at the Met, it's especially intense because it's very high stakes. It's the most prestigious opera company in the world. So uh, perfection is expected. Yeah. And there's a there's a corral of people eager to take your spot if you aren't perfect, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Either that, or you know, people will kind of uh, express their displeasure with you if you happen to come in slightly wrong or play oh, a, road, a wrong note. You know, oh, God. It, it's constant, really. It's 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 a punishment, but it's worth it. Yeah. And it's a lot of, and so let me ask you, so, I mean, obviously I assume you were playing violin from a young age. You you probably took it up like around eight or something. Uh, Actually, I was nine, which is actually fairly late for a violinist. Most kids start earlier than that. Yeah. Wow. But um, actually I started writing before I started playing the violin. That was an an interesting part of the journey. Yeah. Um, When I was growing up, I grew up in Detroit, and um, the public school system there, once upon a time, was really great. They actually had money for after-school programs, and I was placed in an after-school program for creative writing. I'm not sure why. Some teacher must have seen something. But anyway, um, and of course it was 100 years ago, so I don't remember much of what I wrote, but what I do remember was loving the process of 
creating characters and plots and weaving them together to tell stories. Right. So bottom line, right. that's what I, that I loved even before the violin was telling so that, stories. And I still do. That's, that's interesting. Cause you know, uh, nine was when I started playing the flute. Uh, and, um, and also nine is about the age when I knew I wanted to write. And that seems to be, and that's the mm-hmm. age when a lot of eight, nine is, if, you know, there's all different range. People come to it later too, but that tends to be the age when we sort of recognize we like it. And so you were interested in writing first, but then, so how, why, I mean, why, why the, why the violin instead? What, how did that take over more? Well, the violin seemed predestined in a way. What I really wanted to do was play the piano, but my father had played the violin and there was a violin oh. in the family and oh. I just kind of fell into it and he was my first teacher and it turned out that I was really good at it. So I just yeah. kept going. Yeah. Yeah. And you, did you get a lot of kudos for it? I mean, as a kid that kind of makes it, it has an effect sometimes. Uh, it really does. Especially when um, you make really rapid progress, you get a lot of right. praise for that. And, um, right. and that's another thing that keeps you going. So I, in a way it was almost a little bit too easy at first because I had a tendency right. to just read things on site and, you know, kind of fake out my teachers until I actually went to school. I went to college in Boston to study with Joseph Silverstein, who was concert master of the Boston Symphony. Wow. And he didn't let me get away with any of that stuff. Right, so, right. And I had to right. get really serious about it. Yeah. Well, and so were you, so, because, you know, there's all different types of classical music. There's all different types of, you know, chamber music and orchestral. Were you a fan of opera? Uh, or is it just like that was something that came open and you went for it Wait, before you started playing for them? Were you a fan of it? Because I would say I wasn't, um, you know, I loved classical music, but I could not get into opera. Uh, so, you know, I, it's, it's, it's its own way in, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, it's, it's an acquired taste. It depends on your background. As it happens, my mother, my, my parents um, both came from Russia, so I'm a first generation. Oh, and, and they were both very musical. My father, you know, taught me the violin, right. but my mother was the opera person in the family. She used to listen to the Met broadcast every Saturday afternoon. And initially I had absolutely no interest whatsoever. (laughs) Um, And then uh, until after college and I got married to um, an opera aficionado of the highest order. And so we used to spend a lot of time listening to recordings of opera. And so it kind of filtered in by the time I got to the Met, I knew all that stuff inside out so really oh, awesome. came in handy all right so really you just your life just funneled you to the met it just seemed like that's you a were, great way of putting it right and so <laughs> and i assume you did and your parents must have been so proud of you oh my god i mean that must have just or maybe they were jealous. It was, i don't know no no what, <laughs> i don't know it, it was a mixed bag um my uh, father was very very critical and he basically never said anything good. He only pointed out things oh. that I did wrong. Speaking of wrong notes. Oh, um, God. All and right. so, right. you know, he, it, it turned out that he told everybody else how proud he was of me, but he never really right. told me. Um, he didn't want you to get a big head. With his, no, he, yeah, he wanted me to be the best, you know. Yeah. And he expected me to be like in the New York Philharmonic or something like sure. that. And when I chose the Met over a symphony orchestra, he kind of, um, it took him a while to get over that. Right. Because you know, he didn't think because of 
in the Met, at the in the opera, it's not about the musicians; it's about the singers. Like it's really about. I mean, even though the music is obviously the music and the the, the, the singers and the and the orchestra are obviously working in tandem. People are there to see the singers more than to hear the orchestra. Yeah, I mean, it's the psychologically. Generally, they are. It depends on what kind of opera, though. When you're talking about Wagner, uh, and I'm sure you're familiar with Wagner, um, yeah. he actually, I've done, uh, as you mentioned, a lot of uh, lectures for Wagner societies. And one thing yeah. that I learned was Wagner felt that the orchestra and the singers were on equal footing, that they were ah, equally important. Good. So when you're talking about Italian opera, yes, it's all about the voice, la voce. Right. But when it comes to Wagner opera, the orchestra is of utmost importance. And that's one of the reasons why he made the part so darn difficult to play. Right, right. So, okay, so you spend 20 years and you're, and you're, there you are, you're playing for the Metropolitan Opera. Oh my God. And you're busy and it's hard and it's challenging, but this is, this is what you do. Right. And I assume wasn't much writing going on while you were doing that. Uh, actually, was there was. Ooh. There was, uh, because I I just, um, for one thing, I kept journaling. I journaled uh, constantly okay. that, yeah. you know, because partly because of the difficulty. In fact, my yep. first two novels before my opera mystery novels were based on my journals. Oh, But in really? addition to that, yeah, fun. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> True confession. Okay. But um, in addition to that, though, I took writing classes whenever I could fit them into my schedule. So, you know, we would have a couple nights off every week. So I would schedule writing classes. Yeah. Really? Well, wow. you know, I mean, there were times when we had to play seven nights a week. But right. on a regular schedule, you know, we worked very hard um, to negotiate that with management that we would be able to have two nights off or a night and an afternoon, um, right. you know, however it turned out. And so I took writing classes on those nights off whenever I could, even screenwriting classes, because right. I just didn't want to stop writing. Writing was, you know, still my yeah. passion, even though the violin was how I was making my living. Right. Well, it's different. Writing, you know, you play music is it, you're still letting something through, but there is the the blank page is um, it's a it, it calls on something unique from you that we're supposed to reading something someone else wrote and interpreting it. It's just it's a different part of you that's being called upon. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. And I find that one of the most difficult things about writing is that yeah. blank page. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the gift and the curse. It's the gift. If it's yeah. not blank, then you wouldn't get to write your story, right? It's got to be blank. It's got to be blank. But, you know, I, I always feel that um, the blank page, like, lays bare how much our life is about our choices. Because you can't, nothing goes down there on that page unless you choose it. You know, it's all chosen. It's all chosen. And I try to yeah, live my life that way if I can. So, all right, so you're taking writing, because I would think also it's also like, look, I got to do something that isn't, playing i gotta do something besides music it's just music 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 i gotta because i do a lot of writing and that's why i love to play music when i'm not because it's a great opposite part of you know part of my life i can use so i assume that helped too just just to break up the you know the sameness of your experience uh it really does but it also helps to be able to express what you're experiencing and what you're feeling 
when you right. are playing music. And with the Met, since it is so difficult, and also because there are so many egos involved and, and yeah. relationships between people, because there's hundreds of people doing the same job or a different right. job at the same time, and there's right. bound to be conflict. And at one point, it gets so frustrating that you just have to write about it. And that's how right. my first opera mystery was born, Murder in the Pit, because, uh, <laughs> you know, I got to kill off all the people who made my life miserable. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, so let's talk about the transition. So you, But it was a, an injury. You had an accident. Was it a car accident? What was the accident you had? Um, it was a car accident, and it was multiple injuries. But the worst of all was um, that I injured both my hands. And wow. I was in um, physical and wow. occupational therapy for a whole year and a half before I just realized it, it was too painful. I mean, sometimes wow. you're playing eight hours a day. Yeah. And, of course, they wanted me to you know, come back sooner than, I, than my body was ready to. And right. I just... I couldn't, um, I couldn't continue it, so I gave up the med, and that, there was a, a huge um, grieving process involved with that. Oh because, my God! You know, such a, I mean, that's a wonderful like job. Dying. That's like, I mean, but that's, I mean, that is huge. I mean, it's not just the job, but it's your. I mean, it's what you conceived of your life. It's like, a, it's all you've known as an adult. Like that's your identity. Um, what, how you spend your it time. Is. It just seems enormous to me. Well, it's, it's your soul. Really, you know, yeah. it's, it's a huge part of your soul, and um, that's why the grieving process was so intense, because it was so much a part of me. It was, you know, like letting go of that. In some ways, you know, I never really did completely let go. Whenever I hear the Met on the radio, you know, I still get very kind of nostalgic about it, sure. in spite of, sure. you know, what I just mentioned about killing off all the people who yeah. made my life well, miserable. It's still, yeah. I love the music so much. I still do, and I still and I miss it. Well, it's one thing to listen so. to music. It's another thing to be a part of it, right? I mean, yes. it's another thing exactly. to sit in the orchestra and, and be not just playing it, but to be in tune with all those other musicians. I mean, it, it, you, it, there's no replacing actually being the one performing the stuff. It's just not the same. Oh, that's Absolutely true, not to mention the fact that while I was there, it was, you know, the height of Pavarotti and the three tenors and oh, all of the oh, great singers. Right. And, uh, unbelievable, just the, the whole idea of sitting in a rehearsal and watching, you know, Domingo right. and Zeffirelli and all these wow. amazing artists at work on that stage was yeah. something uh, just phenomenal. Well, to be around, you know, the interesting thing, Erica, I started doing author magazine because I wasn't having any success. I knew I could write, but it just wasn't happening for me. And I needed to be in the room, I decided, with people who were thriving doing what I just not so they'll teach me how to do it, but just to be around them, just to be around them, because I wasn't being around people who were thriving in that way artistically. And so I would think it would mm -hmm. be something to be in that, you know, working with someone who has brought their art to such a sort of high, high level and so committed to it in that way. I don't know if that helped you as an artist, but I would think it would be inspiring in a lot of ways, informative. Oh, it was tremendously, tremendously inspiring. I felt yeah. so lucky to be able to witness all of that and, and to be able to rub shoulders with these people and meet them and, and talk yeah. to them. Um, yeah. You know, it, it was especially when we went on tours, 
we had a right. chance to hobnob with these with the biggies, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. And it would make a really interesting. Well, sometimes I fictionalize this in my books where I talk about right. their personalities, the ones who are very accessible, the ones who weren't, you know, and right. how they conflicted with each other. Now that is really. Um, I have a friend. His name is Richard Stilwell. He's a wonderful um, med opera baritone, and he mm-hmm. um, he's been reading my books, and he said. You have such a wicked imagination. I would never imagine these things happening at an opera house. I'm like, yes, well, you know, it's it. Inspiration goes both ways, you know. Yeah, and so so at some point, I guess so. You, you grieve, but you're you're st- you're not an old woman. You've got a lot of life ahead of you, and because I know for the artist or the musician, you start young. You obviously, you know, and um, and so were you drawn towards writing how long did it take you to start focusing your creative attention on writing like well sort of since passion. i already was taking writing classes right. and doing a lot of writing anyway it seemed a logical next step and it didn't take very long partly because i started again with journaling expressing my grief that way right and that eventually started turning into other kinds of writing and also I was inspired by some of these incredible operas. The stories of these operas are so, especially the tragedies, right. they're so poignant and they're so right. deep that yeah. I thought, you know That's what, right. I, I want to write a screenplay of a particular opera. And the next thing I knew, I was just writing all the time. Wow. That's right. You know, I forget that. <laughs> when I think of opera, I'm just thinking of the music, but they are a story. They're a play, but sung. And I don't think about the narrative aspect of them, but of course that's 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 what they are. They are. They, I mean, the operas were really the musical theater of a different time, weren't they? Essentially. Um, yeah, you could say that a musical theater in a way. Um, although Wagner said that opera was really drama and music in equal importance. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a musical theater of a kind. But as with any story whether it's a story with music or just a, a film or a play, uh, the characters are all important. And so yeah. if you can relate to the characters, you can get that much deeper into the story of an opera along with yeah. the music. And the two um, kind of feed into each other. And the next thing you know, you're absolutely hooked because it, it just right. overwhelms you, just washes over you. And that's the one great thing about the experience is you can just get completely lost in it in a way that you can't in any other art form. Yeah. And so when you started writing fiction and screenplays, like that's, you know, fictional stories, when you started writing stories, what, what was the hard part for you? What was the part that didn't come naturally to you? You had to learn kind of. Uh, well, the hardest thing actually was um, learning screenwriting because it, it's such it's so different from any other form it of is. writing and it's so it such is. a restrictive yeah. restrictive yeah. form and especially when I did I actually started writing Murder in the Pit as a screenplay first ah, and it was okay. my first attempt I had written a couple of others in different genres but it was my first attempt at uh, suspense thriller mystery genre uh-huh. and I found it so difficult because when you're writing a mystery everything has to fit in like a jigsaw puzzle and if one piece is slightly off everything falls apart and it would drive me crazy 
So I decided to write it as a novel. But interestingly, so I ended up writing them in tandem and finished them both at the same time. But interestingly, it started because there were a number of nefarious things going on behind the scenes at the opera. And so with my, quote, wicked imagination, unquote, I started embellishing and embroidering, and the next oh. thing I knew, people were being killed off. How fun is that? No, it was a based on a true story, kind of. You, but so there was stuff, there was drama and backstabbing of the of the uh, non literal sort happening anyway in the in the. Oh, office. absolutely. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't believe what goes on behind that golden curtain. Oh, and that's you know, another reason why I write these. <laughs> I, have you ever, I mean, look, I don't tell people what to write, but have you ever wanted to write a sort of expose, kind of like, this is what it's like to be in the pit of an opera. Here it is, you know, memoirist of a memoir of a, of a violinist kind of thing. Well, uh, you're not the first person who asked me about that. I feel like yeah. that's yeah. something I, I find a little bit too weird, although I could always yeah. write something and then, you know, no, no. make it, sure it, it doesn't get published until I, after I die. But um well it's that's it's a very different beauty. It's a, total, it's a very different form, you know, being able to translate you know, deciding to base it on what actually happened is takes a different it's a different in to, to storytelling. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody for sure. Uh all right, so so but you so you've but you've but you sound like you kind of settled and you also of course you do lots of of lectures, you get to go out and talk to people. Do you enjoy? That gives you a little bit of the performance. Get that back. Do you enjoy that? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. That my inner performer is very happy what? to be able to do these lectures. In <laughs> fact, I have one lecture that's called "Confessions of a Met Opera Violinist." That's the closest I get to um, true stories happening. Oh, see, yeah, you're doing it in some form or another. I, doing I'm doing it in some form. You know, the spoken word is maybe a, a little more. Um, shall we say, fleeting than the written right, word. Right, 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 right. No, I get it. I get it. So that, and so you, and so yeah. you like the performing and so, and, and you like, I mean, do you, do you, do you like the relationship between the performer and the audience in the form of a lecture? I, I do it too. And I love it. So I, I'm buying I it. adore it. That's one thing that I've been really missing. And I've been doing these lectures yeah. on zoom but I so miss being able to interact with the audience. Yeah. That's something that, you know, to me is one of the highlights of being able to yeah. do it. So hopefully that will come back someday soon. Have you gotten a shot yet? Have you been stuck with a needle? I haven't been. Um, have I been stuck? Have you been, have you been, have you been vaccined? Vaccinated? Oh, I have not. I, you know, it's, I'm having a hard time getting a handle on that here. Yeah. Um, no, I, you know, every time I go online, it's like, sorry, no appointments. So, uh, no, I have not yet. I'm not even eligible yet, so I can't. I'm just waiting my turn. All right, well, good luck. It'll, 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 it'll get easier here now that all these vaccines are available. Uh, yes, we all, miss the, we all miss seeing one another and uh, being in front of one another, but it'll happen. It'll happen, I have no doubt. And, you know, it's so cool, Erica. It's so cool that you went from one thing to another. I just am so... I so admire, I just have, I'm going to be interviewing another friend of mine who had been a nonfiction writer forever. And at 65, he's published his first novel and it's, it's really great. Mm-hmm. And I just have so much admiration for people who can shift gears in their life and do go from one thing to another. I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's easy to do, but it's, it's, uh, I, I just think it's a very inspiring story. 
That's what I think. Well, it's not easy to do, but I think that I was very blessed in, in that I was already doing it and yeah. that I could continue to do what I love most right now, which is to tell right. stories. Yeah. Well, that's uh, Do what you love. Do, hey, do you get to play any piano? Have you tried playing any piano since then, or is that too hard on your hands? Um, that's kind of a little bit too hard on my hands. Also, yeah. you know, yeah. you don't have a piano. So, oh, well, that's even harder. No, I'm, I'm making, you know, no, I'm, I'm putting the music into my words the best I can. That's great. Hey, and you know way. what, too? I remember when I, when I was writing fiction when I was younger, I would think of it, I would, sometimes I would hear the sentences before I'd write them. I'd hear their rhythm. Because, you know, language has a rhythm. It has a melody in a way to it, up and down and short and long. And I would kind of hear the, what I wanted it to sound like before it went down. Do you ever do that? Oh, absolutely. Especially with yeah. dialogue. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I find yeah. myself sometimes falling asleep at night with my characters dancing in my head, telling me what nice. they want to say, you know. Oh, good. <laughs> How see, great this is that? Is That's good, Erica. You know you're doing it right. You know you're doing it right when the characters are talking to you and you're not talking to mm-hmm. them. They're just telling, talking to you. That's what you want. That's what you want. That All right. sounds wonderful. Erica, if people are so interested in you, they want to buy your book, they want you to talk to them about Wagner and anything else, where, where should they go? How do they learn about you? Well, the first place to go would be my website, ericaminer.com, E-R-I-C-A-M-I-N-E-R. And I have lists of my events, and you can look at all my past events and see what kind of topics I've been lecturing on. There's a whole page devoted to my books with links to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc., of yeah. all my books. And you can read excerpts on some of my book pages from any book you choose. So that's probably the best bet as far as... Um, where to find information, more information about me. Also, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, um, especially on Facebook quite often. I'm kind of addicted to it in a way, (laughs) but I've met a lot of wonderful people. Well, I get to meet people like you, and um, so those, I'd say those are your best bet. And um, you can also send me an email via my contact page on my website, and I am very good at returning emails, so Excellent. I promise you, if you get in touch with me, I will get back in touch with you. See that, people? You can talk to the authors. Erica's a very interesting woman. You'd probably st- strike up a friendship with her. Uh, well, all right, Erica. Erica, I'm not quite done with you. I have one more question. <laughs> what I want you to do is finish this sentence. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? That I still love telling stories. Yeah. You don't get tired of it, That's do you? You haven't gotten tired never. of it. Never. I have too many. St- I'll never live long enough to write them all. So ah. that's why I'm, I'm out here every day getting as much done as I can. And I truly love it. And it's, it feeds my soul. And it's my passion. That's great. Man, there is nothing better than have something, having found something that feeds your soul. And you found a couple things. Aren't you lucky? You have a well-fed soul. I am very lucky. You are. (laughs) Erica, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. It's been my pleasure all the way, Bill. I really appreciate the opportunity, and you are so much fun to talk to, and I hope we can do it again. Well, I think we will. I think we will. When you get your next book, when you get your next one, get to writing. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Take it easy, Erica. Will do. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. 
Yes, people, find your passion. Ah, oh, there's nothing better. Nothing better. Just being connected. All right, listen, I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, RJ. Thank you to all of you listening. Uh, stay well. Uh, find something you love to do, and then do it. <laughs>